for some of you, it feels like a lot longer. Um, um, I think, I'm not sure yet, but I think in most people's eyes, now I'm not the new guy. Okay, well, uh, I'm not positive, but I think I've officially moved out of being the new pastor. So it was just a year ago that I got introduced as our new pastor. And, uh, and uh, so I think 10 years gets me past that. I'm not positive, but we'll see. Um, what I wanted to do today is something different. For those who, who may be new around here, typically what we'll be doing, and we'll be starting a new series in September on the book of Ecclesiastes, is we're going we're gonna to preach expositionally, which means we're going to take a passage of Scripture and we're going to work on what the text says. Today what I wanted to do is I'm going to take a little liberty, and, you know, and I prayed about this. I believe that this is going to be fruitful. Um, and I, I want to just share with you ten convictions very quickly that God has either strengthened in my life over the past 10 years or he has changed and transformed or giving me a new um, conviction. And and these 10 convictions are 10 convictions that are not just in my life but me as a pastor and they're convictions for our church. And so I think it's important for us, I thought this was an appropriate time, um, for us to look at what these convictions are that would drive us and define us as a church. And, and so if you would humor me, I'm going to be asking you to flip through your Bible or at least write down these passages of Scripture so you can look at these because these come straight from what I believe God's Word tells us. And so we're going to start with convictions that have strengthened over the last 10 years. There are, there are things I came in with 10 years ago as a 32-year-old pastor who had never been a lead pastor before. Um, I had been a youth pastor, an associate pastor. I was really thankful to have one job title is what I was really thankful for when I came here. My last church, my, um, my position title was associate pastor of youth education, outreach, missions, and evangelism. Um, and then I led the choir. I led worship on Sunday mornings. And when I wasn't leading worship, I was running the soundboard. So honestly, not much changed when I got here. Um, I just started preaching on Sunday because we were very much in the same position in a lot of ways. I just didn't have to lead the choir, and I, but I jumped in, started leading worship. I started, you know, helping with all kinds of things around the church, and I, I fell in love with this place really quickly. Um, but I also had a second job on top of that, and that was that I was the campus minister and campus ministries director for our association of churches, and was in charge of about 16 campuses. Um, I specifically worked on two campuses. Both of those were part-time ministry positions. So I was really happy to come here and have one job. Now, 10 years later, I have two jobs. So I'm just right back where I started 10 years ago. And, and I find that really ironic how God just continues to change what my idea of ministry looks like. And I think he's done the same with you. So I think all of us who were around 10 years ago, we didn't know how this thing was going to work out. And uh, I'm not sure any of us thought it would last 10 years. And, uh, and I'm thankful that it has, and I'm looking forward to the future. So I just want to run through these convictions. The first conviction is something I think you know for sure, and that is that I believe the Word of God is sufficient and authoritative. And that's a conviction that I came in with. In fact, my first sermon made it clear that I believe that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12 tells us, that it pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible is authoritative and it works. It's sufficient for everything that we need. I I believed then and I believe even more strongly now because I've seen it work. I've seen it work in your lives. I've seen the Bible work in my life. I've seen the growth in you. I've seen the growth in me. As I've studied and I've preached, I've seen us 
both grow. First Thessalonians tells us, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. I love that last phrase. The word is the word of God, but it performs its work in you who believe. And what I am thankful for under this conviction is I am thankful for your willingness to listen. And your willingness to come back to me when you think what I'm saying is just my opinion. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that you will not stand and we will not stand as a church on my opinion or on your opinion. But we're going to stand on what the Word says because it is able to perform its work when we believe it, when we believe what it says. I believed then, ten years ago, I believe even more strongly now that the Word of God is sufficient and authoritative. It is our rule and order as a church because it works. And we don't need other traditions and other ideas to tell us how the church should run. We don't want to be practical and pragmatic. We want to be obedient to what the Word says. So I am thankful for you coming along on this ride when it comes to the Word of God. The second, the second conviction that has been strengthened is that prayer is our greatest strategy in action. When I talk to other pastors, the first thing I talk about is, you know, after they ask me the question, because this is the question every pastor asks, how many are you running on Sunday morning, right? So after we get past that, um, the, I begin to ask them, hey, what's your Sunday service look like? And really it's just me fishing because I really want to share what ours is like. Um, that, you know, as we continue to grow and God continues to do work here we continue to spend time praying together on sunday mornings in fact i would say over the past 10 years the there are a couple of things that have changed the culture of old powhatan baptist church uh, more than anything else and i would say primary on that list is prayer the fact that you're willing to pray the fact that we're willing to stay a little longer if necessary uh, to pray the fact that we'll gather for 24 hours of prayer and I don't have to worry about if somebody's going to be there to pray every hour. The fact that we pray. I believe that the Bible makes it clear. John 14 tells us, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That sounds like the best strategic move we can make, right? Is to go to the one who can do it and ask him to do it when he says he'll do it. That's a pretty good strategy, isn't it? Instead of us saying, well, what can we do and how can we do it and are we going to have the manpower and the money to do it, why don't we go to the one who can do it, ask him to do it, because he says he will do it. And I think in my life, I've come to a conviction that's even stronger than it was and it's now being put in practice. I thank Pastor Roger for helping lead in this and helping uh, challenge me in this and helping to encourage me in this as well. But I do want us to continue to be a people who pray and pray for God to open more doors. That we would not grow complacent with what God has done, but we would understand that He has greater things. That He wants us to pray for open doors. Colossians 4 actually says, the Apostle Paul asks the church at Colossae, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. 
He's in prison and he is asking for the doors to be flung open so that the gospel can go to the ends of the earth. He wants an open door for the gospel. And I would encourage you, would you pray with me for an open door for the gospel? In people's lives, in your friends' and family's lives. You're going to see next week, I'm going to be introducing something this, this fall that we're going to be doing. It's called uh, Pray for Every Home. And I'm going to ask you to sign up. I'm going to ask you to sign up to pray for your neighbors. You're going to get a list if you sign up every day where you can pray for a certain group of people who are here in Powhatan County by name. You're going to know a lot of those people. But it's going to remind you to pray for them. Would you pray for open doors for the gospel in their lives? Pray for our missions partnerships, for our church planters, to continue to pray for open doors for the gospel. Prayer is our greatest strategy and is our greatest action. I think we can all agree on those two, right? Okay, good. Number three, conviction that has strengthened. I think everybody knows when I got here, there was no question my commitment to missions. Um, I think that's one of the reasons I actually got hired is my commitment to missions. Um, but as as God has strengthened my conviction on global mission, he's also strengthened my conviction on the need for the gospel and disciple-making at home. So here's a way of putting it. Making disciples is our duty and delight. We should enjoy doing it, but it's also our job. It's also what God has called us to do. And it starts at home, but it extends to the nations. So let me make sure you understand. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. How are you going to do that unless somebody teaches you how to do that, right? And that's what the rest of the passage says. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You're going to teach them diligently to your children. She'll talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Disciple making, actually talking about the gospel with people. See, evangelism and missions is not separate from disciple-making. Disciple-making is what we're called to do. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 28, you will make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Disciple-making is the charge we have from God. And that's not just for me. That's not just for Pastor Roger. It's for every one of us who calls ourselves a believer a follower of Christ. So we're meant to be disciple makers, which means we not only are sharing the gospel with people, which is a part of making disciples, we're also teaching people to observe everything that I've commanded. So this is my challenge to us, that as this grows as a conviction in our church, my, my challenge and question to each of us is, who is the person in your life that you are teaching to observe all that Jesus has commanded? All that he said. Who's that person? If you're a parent, it may start with your children. It should start with your children. It must start with your children. Your grandparent, your grandchildren. But beyond that, who? Who's that person that you can honestly say, I am being a disciple maker? This is one of my greatest privileges as pastor of Old Powhatan. It's not only to baptize people, but now to watch fathers baptize their children. Just the best thing. Those have been my best moments as pastor, is to watch fathers. And, and I'll give you one example. <laughs> I, I'll just say the Cote family. For me, I had an opportunity to lead Josh to the Lord 
But here's the great thing. What really happened was Kayla came to Christ and helped lead Josh to the Lord. And I had a chance to baptize Josh and Kayla together. And not too long ago, I had a chance to get back in the water with Josh by my side as he baptized Avabel because they led her to the Lord. Another great legacy point or thing that I, I love the most is seeing young men that I've had a chance to invest in over the past 10 years. Seeing them here serving. I can just look through the room right now and I see some of you and I'm incredibly proud of you. I wish I, wish I was better at telling you that. Um, or I'll sit back in that corner. Um uh, <laughs> uh, They've learned to not sit up front. That's good. Uh, But to just think about the young men who are serving, Thomas, serving churches, and Michael, and Derek. Justin Bevel um, just had a baby. What? Justin and Amanda just had a baby. What? Ten years flies by, right? And to see what God has done in their lives has been amazing. This is a conviction that's grown in my life, to make disciples. That's what our job is. I'm just going to tell you, when you do it, it's also your greatest delight to see them grow. Fourth, because I'm not going to cry too many times. Biblical church membership is essential to our health and growth. Okay, Our toughest days as a church were when we dealt with what biblical church membership is. Over the past 10 years, those were our toughest days. There are people who still talk about it, and not fondly. Um, So many of you know, over the past 10 years, how strongly I held to this is what I believe the Bible tells us about what it means to be a follower of Christ and what it means to be a part of a church. Romans 12 tells us, I urge you, brothers, as as on account of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. According to the measure of faith God has given you, just as each of us has one body with many members, and not all members have the same function, so in Christ we who are many are one body, and each member belongs to one another. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If someone's gift is prophecy, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is giving, let him give generously. If it is leading, let him lead with diligence. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. We each have been given a gift if we are a child of God. And it's meant to be used to lift up and build up the body. It's meant to be used together. And if it's not being used, we're not being faithful. Now, some of you know how committed I have been over the past 10 years to that. And I will go even further. I feel it more strongly today than I did 10 years ago. That we as a church only grow when we as a church are faithful. And I want to encourage you to that faithfulness. Fifth, biblical leadership is necessary for us to grow and go. Sorry, it should say grow and go. Um, uh, Biblical leadership is necessary. We have to base 
what leadership is in the church on what the Bible says leadership is, right? Remember point one, conviction one? The Bible is authoritative and sufficient. We don't need to come up with our own ideas of what it looks like to be a leader. We don't need to be a cult of personality around people that we've known and people that we've known for a really long time. No, the Bible tells us that there are leaders and those leaders are given by God. And they're given gifts by God to use in the church. And we cannot grow or be obedient to go to what he's called us to unless leaders are leading biblically. Ephesians 4 tells us Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we're no longer going to be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, there's two sides to biblical leadership. There's leaders who will lead biblically. And there are followers who will follow biblically. I am thankful that over 10 years you've begun to trust me. That That is not taken lightly. I've said before my greatest fear in ministry is not moral failure on my part. It's not any of those aren't my greatest fear. My, my greatest fear is that you become like me. It's my greatest fear. That if God isn't working on me, that you would become like me that you would first take on my personality. I want you to become like Christ. And I'd encourage you to continue to look for leaders in all areas of ministry that that's their first concern. is not the position, but that you would be brought to be like Christ. So those are five convictions that have strengthened over the past ten years. I want to go through five more quickly that have either changed or grown in a new way. Maybe even new convictions that I have over the past five years. So I'm just going to run through these as well. Um, I hope you see that these things actually do shape the way that I want to do ministry. And I've tried to do ministry for the past 10 years, but also how I believe ministry needs to be done for the future. And I encourage you to pray for, for me, pray for Pastor Roger, pray for our deacons, pray for our leaders in the church that we would come under these convictions as well. Number six. A conviction that has changed or grown in a new way. We can or should be a both and church in areas that the Bible doesn't make us an either or church. Okay, let me, let me make sure you understand this. We should celebrate our cultural differences. We should celebrate our age differences. We should celebrate our background differences as long as they're not in the way of the gospel. Not just endure one another. We shouldn't be a church of there's an older group over here and a younger group over here. I'm really thankful for the way that our older saints, or maybe I'm supposed to, I'm not supposed to say older. That's something, right? I'm supposed to say experienced saints, right? Um, invest in our younger saints. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the way that. I, I just go back to this summer, Kenneth and Brenda going and hanging out with the youth all week in West Virginia. I mean, that's a beautiful picture of what it's supposed to be. 
where you're not just enduring one another, rolling your eyes at how stupid the youth are being, right? Or how stuck in the mud the older people are being, right? No, instead you're celebrating the differences. And this is a very practical thing. Mark, will you go on to the next? There you go. We should be a both-and church wherever the Bible doesn't make us an either-or church. I'll give you an example where I think we're thriving on this now. Today, we had a band play music, right? We will also have an organ play music. Nobody does that. Everybody tells me, that's not going to work. And I say, but the Bible doesn't tell me I can't do that. Right? And I'm not just going to be pragmatic and say, well, we're only trying to reach one group of people. Just look around. Look very different from one another age-wise in here, right? I think that's a beautiful thing. Maybe you're more of the traditional Sunday school person. Maybe you're more of the growth group person. Maybe you're the missions person. Maybe you're the I-need-to-get-involved-in-something-local person. We can be both and. We don't need to be either going overseas or either working here or either contemporary music or either traditional music because the Bible doesn't define us in that way. It doesn't declare that we have to be that way. But there are either ors in the Bible. And we want to stand on those either ors. We can either be faithful to what God's Word says or not. And we want to make sure we're faithful where the Bible calls us to be faithful. Romans 14 says, Do not pass judgment on one another. And that's talking to believers. He goes on to say, One observes certain days, one does not. One eats certain things, one does not. You need to be convinced in your own heart and seek to honor the Lord. And if we're all doing that, we can actually celebrate the differences between us. Romans 12 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. The Bible actually says that when we draw dividing lines and either-or lines where the Bible doesn't draw them, then we're actually trying to be wiser than the Bible. I'm just going to tell you, that's not a good place to hang out, right? When we're trying to be wiser than God. Let's let the Bible define those things for us. Number seven. Patience is a primary way we must relate to one another. I was 32 when I got here. I didn't know what patience was. And I'm not sure those who are around did either. I wasn't sure what patience was at that point. I thought my job was to come in and we're going to get this thing done, right? And on the other side, there were people who were saying, our job is to make sure he doesn't get this thing done, right? And we kind of clashed over things we never needed to clash on. I'm at fault for that. Others are at fault for that. But at the heart of the fault was we forgot that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. It's not my job to complete the work in you. It's not your job to complete the work in me. It's God's job to complete the work. And I like to apply that verse to myself. I just don't like applying it to other people, right? I want to be patient with myself and say, well, you know, at least I'm better than I used to be, right? I don't want to do that to others. I don't want to afford them that liberty and afford God that liberty to work on them at His speed. So I've kind of taken as a mantra in my ministry and in my life, as people ask me, when are things going to change? I'm say, when the Holy Spirit changes people. Because we can change programs and we can change the way we do things, but those things aren't going to last. But when the Holy Spirit changes people, 
and Holy Spirit changed people, change the processes and the programs, guess what happens? We do what God wants, when God wants it, how God wants it, and it lasts. God has changed that conviction in me over time. We're to walk with one another in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Oh, my encouragement to you is to be patient with one another. Put on, as God's chosen ones, Colossians 3, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Number eight. And this is a difficult one. Because we have to fill out at the end of the year these little things called annual church profiles that tell how many people come to what and what what kind of people we have involved in all these things. And so a lot of what records out there is numbers driven. And I've come to a, a place now of understanding that the programming of our church should never take the place of actually living as followers of Christ in the world. Another way of putting this is what we do on Sunday morning and when we gather together should prepare people for actually going and being Christians. Okay, But what, what I tried to do when I got here, and I can openly admit this, is to get as many people here as possible, as much as possible. Now, don't get me wrong. Hebrews tells us very, very clearly in chapter 10 to not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. We should gather together. The gathered church is the visible representation of heaven on earth. And we should desire to gather together. I think it's a horrible thing when people call themselves by the name of Christ but don't want to gather with other Christians. I'm not sure how those two things meet together in the Bible. I don't think they do. Okay, But the fact of the matter is we can over-church each other to the point that we have no time to actually go out and be salt and light in the world. If we're taking each other away from actually the time to actually be disciple makers, right? How are we going to be faithful? We have to at some point leave room. I have to at some point leave room for Matthew 5.16 to happen. Let your light shine before others. <laughs> so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But there's a flip side to this too, and this is a warning on both sides. A, me as the planner and programmer, i got to make sure that I'm not Bible studying us to death so that you never actually have an opportunity to apply the Bible study, right? That's one. But on the other hand, you've got to make sure that you don't think living out there replaces your responsibility to the body of Christ. This is what we have to do to work together. But in essence, what this means is we live on mission. We live sent. We live as a great commissioned people who get commissioned to go. But you still got to get commissioned. Okay? And that's a balancing act that I'm continuing to learn, but God has absolutely worked to convict me of this. Number nine and number ten, and I'll be close. I'll be done. Number nine. Stewardship is not just about giving. I think if you've been around for any length of time, I do not preach a whole lot of sermons on money. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about money. But what the Bible has to say about money is not about how much you're giving to the church all the time. It has to do is making sure that money is not your God. 
that money is not the thing that has your heart. That success is not the thing that has your heart. And we talk about that a lot. But I praise the Lord for your generosity. I'll just give you a couple of numbers just to encourage you. When I got here 10 years ago, um, our Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions, anybody want to guess on what our goal was that year? Our goal was about 2500 to $3,000, right? That's, we brought in less than that. We've had years of over, for the past two or three years, over $20,000 because of your generosity. Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions, $1,000. Now fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars because of your generosity. Because God has convicted our hearts together. Your giving to missions has ballooned. Your giving to the church right now, right now we are on a weekly basis um, about between $750 and $800 a head per week for the year. I'll put it another way to you. If not another penny, please don't stop giving. If not another penny came in for the rest of the year, we'd pretty much make budget from 15 years ago. That tells you anything. This is something God's doing. Imagine what God will do as we continue to grow in faithfulness. But stewardship is not just about giving. It's actually about utilizing what God has already given us. There's a principle in the Bible that he who has been given little, if he's faithful with it, God will give him more. We're told in the parable of the talents that the master actually says these words in Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. That doesn't just happen when we get to heaven, right? That's, not, that's what we're looking forward to, but he actually does it now. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Oh, to live in the joy of the Lord and to be set over even more. Luke 21 he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury and he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins and he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them for they all out of their surplus put in the offering. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. See, what God demands of us is not just that we give more, it's that we love Him more and that's going to make us more generous. But He also has given us stuff already, hasn't He? And just think about the blessings in your life. Just think about all that he's given you. How many of you who have a driver's license drive a car? You're farther ahead than 80% of the world. How many of you have indoor plumbing in your house? Lucky. That's what the rest of the world says. I mean, just think. Think of all that God has blessed us with. Now, let's think about this as a church. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. Ten years ago, I walked in the building, and I was like, oh, this is really cute. I love it. It would be a great place for a wedding. You know, I'm having those thoughts, and people have actually said that, right? And they've actually come here for that, and all of that's true. You know, my second thought was, you got to walk by the guy who's preaching to go to the bathroom. That was my second thought. First thought was, this is beautiful. Second thought was, who came up with that idea? Right? That, that was my second thought. I still think that when people get up to walk by me to go to the bathroom, right? I still go, 
we really need a bathroom back there. Like, that's what I'm thinking. We really need one in the back, right? And, and I, I kind of think through that, and I go, so yeah, there are things about this building that may not be awesome, but here's what happened. Here's what happened over 45 years ago. There's a group of people who gave of their hard-earned money, right? Who stewarded all that God had given them. The building had burned down. They could have said God's taken it away, but instead they said God gives and takes away. And they looked at what God had given them. Look at the acreage. Look at the space. Look at what God's given us. And churches in the area did the same thing and stewarded what God had given them to build a building. And I want you to think, they didn't just build it for the people of 1971. They built it so that future generations could be blessed. We're walking in that blessing right now. Just think about that. So I ask you, what are we doing to utilize what God has already given us, not just in our individual lives, but as a church, to bless future generations? I'm going to give you a challenge to pray for, and I'm going to ask you to pray intently for this for the rest of this year. Because you know I couldn't just give a look at the past, right? We have to look forward to, right? Can I ask you to pray with me intently on this? I have ideas of what could be done. I have ideas of what I'd love to see. But I'd love for God to convict us of what He wants. If you were to open these doors and walk outside, we own land going up Old Church Road. We own land going back this way all the way to the end of the clearing. Think about that. All this land, all these trees, God has blessed us with. All this land that could be utilized. Let's ask you, what are we going to do? Not just with this building, but with the land. I believe we have become good stewards of so much of, uh, so much of what God has given us. I, I remember six, seven years ago sitting in a finance committee meeting talking about the budget for the coming year and I walked in and I said I'm convicted of this and I believe that what God wants us to do is be faithful with what he's given us not concern ourselves about what we want because up to that point budget had basically been every ministry saying hey here's what I'd like to do and the finance committee compiling it putting it on a list and coming up with a number right that was it and we stopped and we prayed about it and we talked about it and we, we sought the Lord on this and what we came to was God has blessed us no matter what the number is God has blessed us with this. We must be faithful with it. Instead of saying, oh God, why won't you give us more? We need to be faithful with what he's given us. And so we started doing what you have to do in your family, which is you know how much money you make every year, right? So you've got a budget based on what you make, not on what you want to do. If I sat down with my family and I said, what do you want to do? Let's all go to Disneyland, right? And I, I don't have the budget for that, so we can't do that, right? We can't buy new cars. We can't do all of these things every year. Well, we can't do the same thing as a church. We need to be faithful stewards of what God's given us. From that moment on, our giving began to go up, and God gave us more to be faithful with. So I believe we're being faithful in God's blessing. But I ask you, have we been faithful with the land God has given us? To think about how we will serve not just ourselves, not just today, 
but future generations? I don't have all the answers. But I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Will you do that? Pray with me for the coming in the coming months about how we can be good stewards of what God has already blessed us with. I mean, think about all that He's blessed us with. How can we utilize it for the gospel? Finally, number 10. We are meant to move forward. It's fun for me to look back over the last 10 years, but we're not meant to stay in the last 10 years. Even all the good things that God has done, we're not meant to. Luke chapter 9 tells us this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and stay where you are where you met me. I think we all know that's not what it says, right? What does it say? And follow me. Which means we've got to be moving, right? It's actually a forward movement here where we're following where Jesus is leading. Whoever would say, seek to save his life, which means stay where you are, will lose it. Whoever loses his life moving forward with him will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? His own soul. Jesus said to him, Luke 9:62, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So in the kingdom of God, as we're walking as the people of God, we're supposed to be moving forward. We're supposed to put our hands to the plow and we're supposed to move forward. Now, I, w- I want to make a couple of things clear when it comes to this. What I believe firmly is what Jesus says in John 8, that if you abide in my word and are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, that we can actually move forward in freedom when we anchor ourselves or rudder ourselves or lash ourselves to the mast of Jesus's ancient teaching. So I'm going to put it this way. If you'll click to the next one. Okay. The ancient must be our rudder and the wind in our sails. Okay. If we want to know where to go as we're moving forward, we have to lash ourselves to the rudder of the ancient truths of scripture. We don't come up with new stuff, right? We have to lash ourselves to what God has said. Abide in his word. Okay? And then that also, his spirit working through his word, will become the wind in our sails. If we want to move forward, his spirit and his word have to direct us and give us everything necessary. Which means we have to think about tradition and newness in different ways. They're not necessarily opposed to one another. In fact, oftentimes they're doing the same thing. They're actually causing us to not have any energy or motion for what God wants. So the ancient must be our rudder to direct us and the wind in our sails. Tradition. Now when I got here, I love old hymns. But yes, I had a mentality. It's like, well, if we're going to move forward, we're going to have to move forward in a new way. We're going to have to think new things. We're going to have to... No, I want you to understand, I love tradition. God has grown that in me. But tradition is not meant to be Traditional. What I mean by that is when it becomes something that we just look back on and say, the good old days, let's just all be honest. Um, You were all pretty happy when I asked you how many of you have indoor plumbing, right? Remember the good old days? That wasn't true. They weren't that good. Still dealt with sin, right? What's been reported in Charlottesville was happening on a regular basis in our backyards, right? Not so much the good old days. 
What happens when tradition becomes something that sticks us somewhere? It becomes an anchor when we're supposed to be moving forward. It anchors us in a place that God never meant us to stay. And we've got to be careful about that. Tradition itself is not wrong. We want to look back and we want to see God has brought us this far. We want to remember those things. And tradition can help us. But when tradition becomes an anchor that holds us somewhere that we were never meant to stay because we're supposed to be moving forward, it becomes dangerous. It becomes deadly. We've got to guard ourselves against that. But on the flip side, I've learned more and more that new is not always better. But it also isn't always bad. What tends to happen is we think new is actually going to be the energy to push us forward. But we were meant to trust His Spirit. Not novelty and new ideas. What happens when the anchor is over here fighting against the novelty, we just break the ship apart. Is everybody with me? Understand what I'm saying? When the anchor is over here saying, no, this is the way we've always done it, and the new is saying, this is the way we need to do it, what happens is we tear the ship apart. When we anchor ourselves in the ancient and we let it guide us and the Spirit moves us, we'll see God do amazing things. 1 John 2, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. I love that. We want to be empowered to be who God wants us to be and to move forward. It's only going to happen with His ancient realities and His ancient truth, His eternal Word guiding us and His eternal Spirit empowering us. Anything else is either going to anchor us where we're not meant to be or is going to run out of steam really quickly. The danger of every new thing is there's another new thing coming, right? The danger of every tradition is that you're only looking backwards, not forwards. Oh, that we would look forward. Here, here's what I wish we would start saying instead of the good old days. The good coming days. Here's what you might hear some TV preachers tell you is that you live your best life now. The truth is the best is yet to come. I believe that. And I want you to hear me plainly. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe that. Many of you know in the past year I had an opportunity to leave to something that I think I would have enjoyed doing. But God has given me the task of pastoring you. And as much as I might have enjoyed doing it, I would not have found the joy that I find in pastoring you. Yeah, you frustrate me. I know I frustrate you. Yeah, it's hard and it's messy. But what I love is that we don't just try to clean it up. We just work through the mess. So for 10 years we've been doing this. And God has consistently convicted us in one way or the other as we've trusted Him. I'm just going to ask you, will you trust Him for the next 10? Or if it's just one? Or if it's five? That we trust Him to not only direct us, 
but to energize us for what he wants us to be and who he wants us to be and what he wants us to do. I'm excited about what God has done. I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing how God has changed each of your lives. I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing how God continues to work in you. Hey, here's the good news. He's still working on me too. Okay? And I know it. And I know I need it. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that we would be people of conviction, but we would also be people of surrender. Help me to lead in that way. Thank you that the mark of what's happened in this church is not because of my faithfulness or anyone else's faithfulness in this room, but it's because of your faithfulness. Remind us of that. That you are truly worthy to be worshipped, worthy to be praised. Lord, help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go out as the people of God this week. Amen.